0: Really miss being here, but we had a good time. But I was thinking this morning, you know, when you're when you're a Chicago Bears fan, you just kind of settle on being disappointed all the time. Um, Great first half, second half they look like a high school team. Um, You know, that's just kind of the way that it is. And uh, if you're a Bears fan, if any there are any other Bear fans here, you know what I'm talking about. And But, you know, but I was also thinking about those who belong to Christ, the last thing we need to do is settle for disappointment. Now, we, of course, we, we go through difficulties. I loved what Matthew shared. He shared that with me Tuesday morning at prayer, and I thought, man, he needs to share that with the church. I think he was kind of leaning that way too. I loved what he shared. There's difficulties, there's trials, there's deep suffering at times that people go through and some of you are going through but we don't settle for disappointment. Um, Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's, that's our hope. That's the, I think the greatest promise in all the Bible, he gave us his son, he will give us all things that we need, every promise in and through his son. So be encouraged by that. Um, Well, I want to take just a bit of time to explain where we're going to go this morning. We're going to take a bit of a break from 2 Timothy, although one of the passages in your bulletin is in 2 Timothy. Um, So what I want to do is I want to read the two passages that we're going to cover this morning and then let you know where we're going and explain why and jump into the text. So first, the first passage is 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 14, and it says this, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 11 says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral we humble ourselves before you and before your word. Your words, you tell us in your word that the one that you esteem is uh, those who are humble, those who are contrite, and those who tremble before your word. You are the God of heaven. You're the God of the universe. You are the creator and sustainer of all things. There is none like you. You, you declare the end from the beginning and things that have not yet happened saying my counsel will stand and I will accomplish all my purpose And so you are this mighty God and you have given us your book, you've given us your scriptures, you've given us the Bible, the book, and I pray that we would listen with attentive ears and um, engaged hearts and crisp minds this morning and that your spirit would speak and that you would bless us in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we live in unusual, strange, and dark times. Um, I I think we all would agree on that. There seems to be this perfect storm that's kind of converged together and um, has exploded upon us with COVID-19, the pandemic, the political upheaval, economic uncertainty, the sexual revolution that is moving at warp speed. And all these things have collided to make such times especially interesting, and interesting is probably not the best word to use, especially trying and difficult. Um, Thankfully, and I'm thankful for this, and I trust you are as well, uh, we're somewhat insulated from what's happening in other parts of our country and certainly other parts of the world living here in the heartland. I'm thankful for that. Um, We're somewhat insulated, but I don't think we will be forever. We're not completely insulated, but we are somewhat, and I don't think we will be forever. A couple of weeks ago, the Canadian Parliament passed a bill called C-4 that outlaws something called conversion therapy. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of conversion therapy before. Um, the, the uh, the, the, The bill passed with unanimous vote and went into effect just eight days ago on January 8th. Conversion therapy, as defined in the bill, is, I think, purposely defined very broadly, very vaguely, uh, but essentially it forbids counseling people caught in the sin of homosexuality and the confusion of transgenderism and all the other uh, sins that would kind of be in that category of sins. Um. It forbids counseling people caught in these sins to submit themselves to God's design for human sexuality. It forbids it. It passed unanimously for the whole nation of Canada. The penalty carries up to five years in prison for a counselor or a minister or probably just a citizen who would urge a friend to forsake such sins and flee to Christ. I want to just read a portion of the preamble of the bill. It says this to say heterosexuality, cisgender identity, which five years ago we were like, huh? just means that you're a, a, a male and you identify as a male. To say that heterosexuality, cisgender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to a person at birth, that's a mouthful, to say that that is preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions is a myth. That's what the bill says. It uses the language of religion. According to Canadian law... As of January 8th, 2022, the belief in God's design for marriage and sexuality will be seen as a myth. Now what's interesting is that the previous version of the bill, so C4 is the one that passed, the previous version was C6, which I don't believe passed, but it, maybe two years ago or something when they tried, but it allowed for consenting adults to get help. So if you were an adult, over 18, 18 or older, you could get help if you wanted to. If you were, if you were, were caught in, with homosexual desires and had, you wanted help, you could seek out help and get it. Um, Bill C-4 actually even outlaws consenting adults for, or helping a consenting adult, So many of our Canadian brothers are obviously disturbed by the developments north of us up in Canada. And so many of them are devoting this Lord's Day to preaching on God's design for human sexuality. And they've called on churches in Canada, hundreds, maybe thousands, I don't know, but at least hundreds in Canada are. And they've called on churches here in the United States to do the same. And I, I know many, many are. I don't know how many, but many are. And so I felt eager for us to join with them. Now, you might say, why? Why, why are we doing this? Why not just keep our heads down, just kind of ignore what's going on up north? Why the urgency to join with them, well, there's a few reasons, and the first is solidarity with our Canadian brothers to stand with them. Second, and I don't say that I'm not a fearmonger; that's not how I live. I'm, I'm not. I I'm just don't do that. But it is coming here unless the Lord grants mercy. It is coming here unless the Lord is merciful, and grants repentance. Today, it's relatively easy. I mean, it's not, it's not, I'm not threatened today to stand up. It's not like I'm going to get in trouble for talking about this today. It's pretty easy for us, especially in the heartland of the United States, in Iowa of all places, to talk about this. But there may be a time when the law of our land is very similar to C4. In fact, there's a bill called the Equality Act. Our president, Joe Biden, said it's. It's the number one uh, issue that needs to be passed. It hasn't been, thankfully, so far, but there are 120 co-sponsors in the House, and it is Bill C-4 on steroids. So a similar law could be coming here. But another reason why I think we need to talk about this is for the sake of our families and our kids. The family and children in our nation are being assaulted day after day after day with propaganda. But then, of course, there's also the issue of being faithful soldiers where the battle is actually taking place. We should uphold and fight for all truth, no doubt. But if a particular truth is being assaulted with great violence, then we as believers, as faithful soldiers in Christ's army, should be there taking up arms, however he calls us to. And when it comes to God's design for the family, his design and definition of marriage as one man, one woman for life, not two men. Two men can never constitute marriage. It just can't. Two women can't either. One man, one woman for life. When it comes to these things, when it comes to God's design for his image bearers as made in his image, male and female, not fluid, male and female, the battle is raging. And we need to be clear-headed soldiers on this front. This quote from Martin Luther is, I think it's awesome and deeply challenging. Here's what he, Martin Luther said He said, If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christ. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefields besides is merely flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. So our society, and it is here, we, you, guys, you guys know this. Our society is telling us that something God emphatically calls sinful is a positive good And isn't merely to be tolerated, but celebrated. And if you say otherwise, you are an evil, you're a bigot, you're backwards, at the very least backwards, old-fashioned, and in Canada, you can be put in prison for up to five years now. So, that was a long introduction. Let's look at our text, okay? 2 Timothy 1.14 This is the charge today. Here's what I want you to leave with this morning, okay? This is what you are called to do, okay? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Timothy was a pastor And so this is a charge emphatically for pastors, but then from there it is also a charge to all of God's people who handle his word, which should be all of them. To guard the treasure of God's word, guard the good deposit. This is the charge. Now, this phrase, guard the deposit, or maybe your translation, you have the NASB, I love it, it says, guard the treasure. The idea here is that there's a serious entrustment that's been given of another person's possession with the responsibility of returning it to them in the same condition in which it was received. At the very end of 1 Timothy, Paul exhorts Timothy and says almost the exact same thing. He says, Oh, Timothy, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Avoid babble, meaningless talk, and what is falsely called knowledge. Now, I think it's clear that the good deposit, the treasure to be guarded, is God's word, it's the revelation that God has given us. The surrounding context, I think, I think, makes this clear. Verse 13, just one verse earlier, says, Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 of 2 Timothy 1, just a few verses earlier, it says, Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Read covered that, that last week. The good deposit, the treasure is the sound words. It's the gospel. And not merely a truncated, narrow gospel presentation like we need to stand up for the the message that Jesus died to save us from our sins. Certainly that. But I think it's talking about a broader understanding of the entire revelation that God has given us in Scripture. This is what needs to be guarded it's God's word. It's the scriptures. Think about this. God has given us a treasure, the treasure of his word, and it's on loan from the Lord to be returned to him when he appears. And it's to be returned unchanged. The world will always want us to change what the Bible says to accommodate them. What did the God of this world, the serpent, ask Eve? Did God really say? How often do we hear that? Does the Bible really teach? We as God's people are not to accommodate God's word to the world but sadly there are plenty of people who are more than willing to do so in order to be on friendly terms with the world is that our is it our responsibility to be friends with the world it's not in fact I'm kind of doing this deep dive in the book of James. My daughter, Sabrina, who's down in Texas, she's reading through James. I said, I'll read it with you. Let's just, let's dive into it. And a a, a passage that really challenged me this last week is James chapter 4, where James says, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Not only that, but you will never be able to go far enough. When you seek to accommodate God's word to the world, or seek to accommodate the world and change God's word, you can never go far enough. You will compromise here, and then you've got to compromise here, and compromise here, and then compromise here, and then over here, and then over here. You can never go far enough to stay on friendly terms with the world. If you stand for the truth... If you see it as a sacred trust to guard the treasure, to guard the good deposit, you will find yourself at odds with the world. Just bank on it. And if you want to be a faithful Christian, then we just know that's the way it's going to be. So you shouldn't think it's strange. Now, we don't have to be jerks either, though, right? (laughs) Obviously. We don't have to be jerks, but we want to guard God's truth. As God's people, as followers of Christ, we are called to speak a word from heaven to a sinful world so that they may hear their maker and redeemer and repent and turn to him. And so this is where we must stand and be vigilant to guard God's word, the deposit that's been entrusted to us. And again, think about this. If you are a Christian, God has given you an entrustment. I wonder how many of you have thought about that, taken that seriously. He's given you a treasure that far surpasses all of the gold in all the world in his word. There's a glorious privilege and serious responsibility here. Right? The glorious privilege of holding the words of the living God, the God who spoke all things into existence out of nothing. What a privilege! And yet, with that privilege comes what? Great responsibility. It's a sacred, serious entrustment, responsibility to protect and guard God's word from all enemies, both foreign and domestic. Here's the good news, though, okay? The good news is that we don't do this by ourselves, with our own resources. And I don't even mean that we do this with other believers. Of course we do. But we don't do it with just human resources. Notice what Paul said. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit. How do we do it? It's by the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit's help. By the indwelling Spirit, if you've been born again, God, the Holy Spirit, dwells within, and he is as much God as the Father and the Son. In other words, he is Almighty God. He is all power, all might. And it is with his strength and wisdom that we guard the treasure of God's word. But... And Sometimes we, we can go too far one direction or too far the other. We gotta keep some things in balance, okay? Because here's, here's, what, here's my understanding is the strength and might of the Spirit to do this flows to those who take responsibility and it flees from those who don't. So if you say, well, we can't, it's, it's up to God. We, we can't do anything then you're missing the point that says, there's a good deposit that's been entrusted to you. But then if you just say, well, it's all up to me, it's been entrusted to me, you're missing the point that, no, it's by the Holy Spirit. It's both hands. So again, Christian, take this to heart. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So in our day... One of the truths that must be guarded by affirming, believing, obeying, and speaking with clarity is what the Bible teaches on human sexuality, what it says about male and female, God's good creation, what it says about marriage, what it says about homosexuality and other sexual deviant behaviors. And even more, or I would say in addition to this, we need to be vigilant about the positive message in Scripture About God's design for marriage and so forth. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians 6. I want to read this again, and then we're going to just kind of take a little bit of time and work our way through it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to to 11 says this "This This is the truth that needs to be guarded, the good deposit that needs to be guarded. It says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. this week in Canada, could result in a minister or believers being arrested and put in jail for five years. Let that land on you. That's stunning. Our vigilance matters on this issue and our text gives us three reasons why. We need to be vigilant for three reasons that our text lays out. One, there's great deception. Two, There's coming judgment. And three, because of the power of the gospel. This ultimately is a gospel issue. So let's think about these one at a time. We need to be vigilant on the truth that God's word lays out for us concerning sexual morality and God's design for it because there's great deception. Paul says this do not be deceived. Now, whenever Paul says that, he says that elsewhere. We should, we should, our ears should perk up because he's concerned that Christians he's writing to could be. What is it that we need to not be deceived about? Well, Paul tells us those who practice the sins listed, verses 9 and 10, including men who practice homosexuality, will be not inherit the kingdom of God. We shouldn't be deceived. Paul understood the deception of his time, and of course, deception is rampant in our day as well. Love is love, right? You guys seen that? You guys seen that sign maybe? Or t-shirt? You guys seen those signs? Love is love, usually in rainbow color. It's got a lot of other things on there too, like Black Lives Matter and And uh, climate change is real and all these other things. But the first is love is love and, and rainbow colors. It's just two people who love each other. Two men or two women. What harm is there in that? And of course, as Christians, we need to understand there's great harm in that. Great harm in that. It harms the people engaged in such sin. First Peter's clear that the that the desires of the flesh wage war on our souls. It harms families. It harms children to grow up in a home with two men or two women pretending to be married. It harms them. Most importantly, it dishonors God. There's deception. People have also been deceived into believing the label gay Christian is acceptable. Now, don't get me wrong. I certainly believe someone can be born again, a Christian, a blood-bought Christian, a son of God, a daughter of God, and still struggle with homosexual temptations. I, I believe that that can happen, no doubt. But nowhere... Are we ever encouraged in the Bible to take on as part of our identity a past sin struggle or a present temptation? Ever. Anywhere. Imagine if I introduced a friend to you and said, yes, this is my friend and he is a lustful Christian. He is an idolatrous Christian. He is an adulterate Christian. No. We would say, If that really defines him, then he is no Christian at all. We may be tempted in certain ways. People are tempted in certain ways. But if one is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. That is the glorious good news of the gospel. You and I and other believers of all ages and backgrounds and whatever, whatever, back, whatever past sin struggles, we are fundamentally defined by Christ now, not our temptations. And actually, knowing this and understanding the power of the new birth is the first step of freedom from temptation and sin. I'm not saying complete freedom. I don't think we get complete freedom until Christ comes. But walking in victory and freedom over sin. We need to know this fundamental change that's taken place. I love what, I mean, Saul ended up ending pretty bad, right? King Saul. But I love 1 Samuel 7, I believe. And Samuel tells him, Samuel tells Saul you're going to go meet these prophets, you're going to, and the this Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And it says, and you will become another man. When the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within, when we are born again, we become fundamentally different people. You are no longer, and I... I know that this is, this is common, whether it's alcoholism or drug addiction or whatever it might be, that, well, they're just always, that's just always gonna be something they struggle with. I think we gotta be cautious with, certain, with temptations that we maybe have struggled with in the past, but we need to pour into people, if you are in Christ, you're a new creature. But people have been deceived into thinking that being a gay Christian is an acceptable label to carry. Then there's the deception that God actually permits or even celebrates homosexuality. That, that what's forbidden in the Bible is abusive relationships, like a, ma- a grown man with a little boy who's abusing him in sexual relations and so forth. Some say that's what Paul's addressing in Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 2. Those three passages are called, they're called Paul's clobber passages. And some would say, it's not talking about two consensual adults who love each other. But Paul understood God's law. He understood the law of God. And when Paul was writing under the inspiration Romans 1 or 1 Corinthians 6 or 1 Timothy 2, he understood that God's law forbids a man to lie with a man as with a woman. Paul understood that God referred to that as an abomination. I mean, just the strongest kind of language is an abomination to God. So don't be deceived. Then, of course, some would say, well, Jesus never said a word about this. Jesus never addressed this at all. And, of course, what people mean by that is when you look at the red letters right matthew mark luke john a little bit in acts a little bit in revelation jesus never said anything about this well of course that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what the scriptures are they're all god's words yes. i mean in one sense they're all red letters right they're all the words of christ yes. but yes jesus did actually address this when answering a question about marriage and divorce he appealed to god's creation account And said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Of course, Jesus also understood God's law that forbids certain kinds of sexual activities because Jesus is God. It's his law. So we need to be vigilant about this truth because there is much deception. Parents, I would urge you not to think my kids will get this if they go to Christian school or they'll just kind of get this by osmosis, but have conversations with your children. The second reason we need to be vigilant is because there's coming judgment. Here's what Paul says: Do not be deceived. Those who practice such things, and then he lists, you know, the 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 behaviors and actions, he says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is not compassionate to keep the truth back from people caught in such sins, because they won't inherit God's kingdom. Let, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is language that Paul uses to describe those who will be shut out of God's kingdom and exposed to his eternal judgment. Paul uses almost this exact same language in two other places. In Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21, he says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, fit, or jealousy, fits of anger, Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who make a practice of these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, it lists a whole bunch of sins there. And the point is, those who are, make a practice, those who do and practice such things will not inherit God's kingdom Also, Ephesians 5, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, uses similar language, but then he adds a finer point that I think is helpful. He says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you, he says, with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Individuals caught in such sins, as well as the false teachers who speak peace, peace, to such individuals who are caught in these sins, as well as governments and nations and so forth who, who, uh, who penalize those who oppose such sins will experience the judgment of God. In fact, part of, I would say, I would suggest that what we're experiencing right now, all the upheaval in Western civilization, which of course America's part of, that we're experiencing right now, is part of God's judgment. It's not just that certain sins will result in judgment. But Romans 1 tells us that, that certain sins are the result of God's judgment. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who in their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then from there to the end of Romans 1, there are three times that Paul tells us or explains to us how God's wrath is manifested And all three times it uses the language of God giving people over to sin. The first time it's God gave them over to impurity, to sensuality, to might just say sexual licentiousness or sin. The second time God gives them over to homosexual sin, men with men, women with women. And the third time it says God gave them over to a debased mind to a mind that doesn't work, to insanity. Who ever thought five years ago, certainly, my goodness, I mean, some of you that were alive 20 or you know, 50 years ago, you'd be like, who would have ever thought that we'd be talking about cisgender and gender bin- non-binary and uh, not only he, him, you know, preferred pronouns and he, him, z, zer? I mean, just, It's insane. It is. So I believe we're seeing this now. And apart from repentance and God's mercy, I think it'll lead to more judgment. And of course, in the end, eternal judgment for the unrepentant. So we need to be vigilant on these truths, on this truth, because there's much deception, there's coming judgment, and finally, We need to be vigilant because of the power of the gospel. Look at verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6. After saying, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God, it says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. What's at stake in us being quiet about this and us not being vigilant about this is no less than the gospel. This is a gospel issue. That's why I said earlier when Paul urges Timothy to suffer for the gospel by the power of God, gospel should be, not be taken to mean the most narrow definition of Jesus loves me and died for my sins. That's important, but we, sh- we, need to, we need to understand that there's more that we need to talk about. We need to talk about who's Jesus and what are, what's sin and why did he have to die for it? And when we start explaining those things, it gets pushed into the edges, into the corners, and we have to talk about a lot more things like what we're talking about today. What makes the bill in Canada so egregious and wicked is that it's not merely an anti conversion therapy bill, it is an anti conversion to Christ bill. The converting power of the gospel is the only hope for sinners. Whether they struggle with heterosexual heterosexual sin or homosexual sin, the converting power of the gospel is the only hope. So Paul says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, and then he says this, and such were some of you. Not such are some of you. That's how some want to interpret this passage. Such are some of you. You're still defined by these things, but you're a Christian now. No, no, no. He says, such were some of you. In the church at Corinth, there were people who once fit the description of men who practice homosexuality, but not anymore. That was who they were. They would have never, Paul would have never understood anything like being a gay Christian. The people of Corinth would have never understood themselves as gay Christians. They once were homosexuals, but then they were set free by Christ. They knew the power and reality of the gospel. And they were made new. This is power. Such were some of you. And then Paul says, but you were washed. I think that means cleansed from all sin. You were sanctified. Sanctified, because it's in the past tense, I think it means you were set apart by God as his Chosen and beloved child, set apart for his purposes. You were washed, sanctified, you were justified. Clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. And as such, God views you and I in Christ as though we've never sinned. Then it says, you were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So here's how I want to end this morning. I want to address you. I guess I've been addressing you this whole morning, huh? But specifically, if you are in Christ, You are not defined by your sins and temptations. You are defined by Christ. You are defined by God who is your Father. You are defined by the indwelling Holy Spirit. This is power. Do you understand this? This is powerful. Do you know this power? It could it could change your life and I'm not saying you're unsaved but I'm you could walk out of here like, "Whoa." It's almost like It's almost like I'm full of God, which you are if you're in Christ. But back to our previous subject, how is this explosive converting power unleashed? It's by being proclaimed. Amen. And up in Canada, and perhaps someday here, I don't know, pray for, pray for me, pray for us. I mean, today, I, I'm not risking anything talking about this, but there might be a day where I would, and I don't want to be quiet at that time. Pray that I wouldn't, and pray that we wouldn't be. Please, please. The explosive converting power of the gospel is unleashed through proclamation. I was reading in Ezekiel 37. You know, Ezekiel 37, who here, you're familiar with the valley of the dry bones. The Lord took Ezekiel to this valley uh, full of bones, and the bones were very dry. I'm not sure if, if there's just a pile of bones, I don't know if it matters if they're really dry or not there's no life there but anyways just they're very dry and god asks ezekiel can these bones live and ezekiel says oh lord of hosts you know and what does god command ezekiel to do to prophesy to the bones to speak to a pile of bones to live what does he call us to do? To speak to dead people. Right? To speak to dead people. We live in zombie land. It's people walking around, but they're, without Christ, they're dead. They don't, they don't have life. To speak to dead people and, and trust the Spirit to give life. So, we need to guard the good deposit. We need to resist the propaganda We need to develop thicker skin so that we can just suffer the name calling, which is really pretty minor, right? Um, And we need to be strong so that perhaps someday in the future, if there's punitive action against faithful Christians, that we'll be faithful. Amen? The gospel is at stake. That's why it matters. Let's pray. Father, I ask you uh, to take this truth, Lord. This is a a bit of a different morning. We're standing with many other brothers and sisters, many other brothers who are standing and proclaiming your word here in America and in Canada. And I pray your blessing upon each one of them. So I don't pray just for those of us gathered in this room, but wherever your people are gathered and just talking about this issue today, Father, that you would strengthen us, you you would empower us by your spirit, strengthen us, encourage us, in the truth of your word, that we would be strong and faithful to the very end, no matter what it costs, Lord, and um, that you would be glorified. That's our, our great desire. We want you to be glorified. And we do ask, Father, we do ask that you would, that you would bless America with repentance. Father, we ask you to do that. Widespread, deep, maybe even crushing repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, would you stand please? This is a blessing I want you to go forth today with, okay? Knowing who your God is. We sang the song earlier, Names. I've heard that song played at home, but I've never sung it before. And I love... What are the names of God? Well, they reveal things to us about our God. El Shaddai, that's one of his names, means Almighty God. El Elyon, it means he's the most high God. He is wonderful counselor, prince of peace, and so forth. I want you to go with God's name upon you. And this is what I want you to know about him. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I love the old King James. I think it says world without end. Amen. You're dismissed.